Last week, Al spoke about, uh, in the first in this series, Jesus wants face time. And today, uh, we're going to come back and continue with that series. So just listen for a moment as Annabelle gives us... thought the audio memory might be helpful to trigger that. Jesus wants FaceTime with us, with you, and with me. And he calls us into this amazing relationship that we can have with the living God. And we've tasted something of that together in this last half hour, as his presence with us is very, very real and dynamic. Some of you, as I was doing, may well have felt that physically. Others might not have done that doesn't matter. Um, the issue is that he's with us and he's with you. Uh, and uh, he always wants that to be the way it is. That's his heart for us together and individually as well. Today, we're going to do a, the second one in this series on, on FaceTime. And I think God wants to tear down some misconceptions for some. Um, and uh, maybe about Jesus, maybe about what it's like to follow him. Um, and to prompt us all with three questions, which we'll come to at the end, so you can listen out for that. What do you say if someone asks you, I wonder, if you're religious? I kind of get that a bit, because when I meet people socially, or I play golf, I love doing that, and when you meet people on the golf course, and the inevitable question comes, what do you do? What they mean is, how do you earn a living, etc.? And, of course, for me, that is, involves Christian stuff. So uh, I will say, so now I'm part of the team that leads Community Church in Bishop Stortford. And so, oh, you're a vicar then, or something like that will be the care. And, and I kind of often think, oh, what is in their minds at this point? I wonder what they think as I obviously smash another ball right up the middle of the fairway. Um, <laughs> What is, what's going through? And it seems that often their kind of idea is somebody uh, who follows rules, who dresses in a certain way, um, who probably makes demands on others. You know, I, I don't know exactly what they're all thinking, but it's kind of those kind of things. Isn't it? What do you say when people ask you if you're religious or whether you think that's probably what they're wondering? Because... A lot of people's conception is that being a Christian is about following the rules or about doing stuff that you're told to do. That's not true. That is not what it's about. It's about a relationship with the living God who came as Jesus Christ to make it possible for us and for you to know him. That's what he wants. A lifestyle that pleases him follows because we, that's how we want to live. But it's a fundamentally different reason for the way we live than people might think, than you might think. That's really, really important. How many of you like laws and rules? Well, there are probably certain ones we like and certain ones we don't. 
So I like the rule that says to the nation, don't steal from one another. Because I like my house to feel safer than it would if that was not the law. I'm not so keen on the rule that says that at certain times you have to drive 40 miles an hour on this motorway, even though it's midnight and there isn't a single other car in sight. <laughs> I don't like that one. I didn't like the school rule that said only prefects are allowed to walk across that grass. Until I became one and then I quite liked it. We kind of react in different ways, don't we, to, to laws that we can kind of say, okay, I understand that, that's actually really helpful. And some of the rules that we find ourselves encumbered with that actually are not what we want at all. If Rev were, Rev were here, but I've started it now, so I'll say it anyway, who likes the rule that says your tie must be at school a certain length? It mustn't be shorter than 18 centimetres, and it mustn't be longer than 28, or whatever it is. You think, oh, my word, is that really important? Clearly, it's important to somebody. Now, the Jewish people have had and have laws. They have the word of God that contains what they call the law, that has instructions from God in how to live. What they also had and have is literally thousands of other rules, not laws, instructions from God, but rules that the religious leaders have added to God's word to say, this is how we interpret it. And so you've got this kind of mixture of stuff that is rooted in the heart and goodwill of God for how it's a good way for people to live together. But then you've got also mixed in with it loads of stuff. You think, what? That doesn't make sense. And today, I want us to understand that Jesus is not religious. He is not someone who says, here are 1,064 rules that you must obey in order for you to be acceptable to God. That is not what he's like. I went into Southwark Cathedral a number of years ago, not that long ago, and uh, I forget why we were there, but we were, and we went in to have a look, and uh, I made the appalling mistake of having a hat on, <laughs> because I was told in no uncertain terms by an officious individual who was obviously on duty that I must take my hat off, you cannot have a hat on in church. The fact that there were a number of women in the, in the building who did have hats on, that didn't seem to matter, of course, was neither here nor there. And I thought, what? Why are you so uptight about me wearing a hat? And I thought, no, it's just not worth it. Don't go there, Peter. No, just, just take it off and forget it. Jesus actually, I think, quite liked breaking the rules. <laughs> In Mark chapter 2, his disciples are walking along. It's a Sabbath, and they start picking the grain at the side of the field because they're hungry, which you're allowed to do. That's, you know, that's okay. Um, and uh, the Pharisees take issue with it because it is a Sabbath, and they are working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
In other words, you guys, you get it completely out of perspective here. Meeting needs is more important than sticking to the rules, is really what he was saying. Now let's read the passage for today, which is from Mark chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5, and I'll read it to you from the NLT. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. What a terrible thing to do. Fancy healing somebody on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit it good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. They probably sensed the problem of the corner they put themselves in. Jesus, of course, knew what was in their hearts. Verse 5, he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. Just imagine that. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Wow. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This synagogue is one of thousands of buildings um, in the nation of Israel. There were places of worship, of education, of civil government, that kind of well-known place uh, building within the communities. And Jesus is in that context on the Sabbath, and he notices the man. Now, we don't know how, I don't know how many people, we don't know how many were in there, but it would have been quite a crowd. But Jesus notices the man, and he notices his condition. And if you're sitting here in maybe a similar-sized crowd, who knows? Jesus wants you, first of all, right up to know he notices you. He notices it. He doesn't miss anything. He sees every single thing. He sees the heartache. He sees the challenges. He sees the joys. He sees the way that you serve him. He sees the ways that we go off the path we should be on. He sees it all. <laughs> he sees it all. He notices. And he's here for you today. Because he's noticing you. He's noticing. So as you're sitting here, just be aware of he's noticing you and be before him consciously, and deliberately. Now the thing about the, the Sabbath is it's fundamentally a day of rest. It's to be given as a day of rest rather than work. Um, unto the Lord is the kind of English phrase that is, is used to translate the, the, the biblical text. It's a, a set-apart day. It's a day for God. That would be a kind of way of trying to summarize it. And it wasn't for work. The, the Jews were clear about that. And yet Jesus got these enemies, and that was the reality that he had people who were out to get him. And we'll talk about it a bit in a minute, moment. 
And they're watching closely. Did you notice that? They're watching closely. If he heals on the Sabbath, they're going to accuse him. Interesting that they knew he could heal. They'd gathered that much. They were his enemies, but they knew he could. He could heal. The problem was that it was against their rules. Because their rules said the extra rules weigh in addition to the word of God as, as we have received it. One of their rules was that you could only heal on the Sabbath if it was a life-threatening condition. Now, quite why somebody decided to go into that amount of detail on defining what was and wasn't work. But they went into huge detail in defining what was work and what wasn't. And on the healing subject, they said, if it's life-threatening, it's allowed. Otherwise, you can't do it on the Sabbath. So this is the background. They're sort of watching Jesus to see, is he going to break, the, break our rules or not? Of course, we know what happened. It's interesting that you notice Jesus was angry and deeply saddened. Now, it doesn't tell us the text what he was angry about or what he was, uh, all the details of what he was saddened about. But clearly what it says to us is that he can feel stuff. He, he's, he feels things. Jesus is God. Jesus was also human, fully God, fully man. He feels things. He did feel things and he still does feel things. He's angry at the Pharisees, maybe because of their attitude, maybe because they're misleading the people into a religious, rule-keeping religion that was not the heart of God. Maybe for that, he was angry because of that as well. Maybe he was saddened at how they viewed God, what it was leaving people with in terms of their understanding of what God might be like. Maybe he was saddened at the separation that, that was causing between people and God. But the whole scenario was deeply saddening to him. Just as our separation, any of us, from God is saddening to him. That's not what he wants. He wants us to know him in relationship. And so Jesus then takes, takes the bull by the horn, so to speak, and says to the man, okay, come here, hold out your hand, and it's restored. Fantastic. Wow, what a moment. And I wonder whether any of you have got conditions of the hand this morning. Why don't we just stop for a moment and just hold our hands out before God and we'll ask him to come and heal again today. I just got word this week from the church in Holland that um, a lady with a significant deafness problem who really could not hear at all without hearing aids uh, was prayed for by two women friends in the church and God healed her. Bang. And she doesn't need the hearing aids anymore. After decades, Jesus, you're still in the healing business. So we simply hold our hands out to you. And I speak to conditions of the hands, whether it be deformity, arthritic, rheumatism, joint issues of other sorts, muscle conditions, carpal tunnel, Be healed in Jesus' name. Stretch out your hands. We depend on you, Jesus. Please send your spirit now, just like you promised, to continue your healing ministry to your glory and honor. I pray you'll give us stories to tell of what you've done. Thank you for what you've done in that Dutch church. Bless you. Keep doing it, Lord. 
that we can tell people what you've done and who you are and what you're like. Let's look at three R's. The way reactions, reasons, and the relevance to us. The reactions of the people very quickly. Well, the healed man, presumably he was pretty happy, one would imagine. Don't know whether he went jumping up and down. He doesn't tell us, but he was presumably pretty happy. The Pharisees, by contrast, were absolutely furious. They were fuming. And they went away to plot how to kill Jesus. Not just because he'd healed on the Sabbath, but because of other things in the background that we'll see in a second. Why? What were the reasons? Why would healing on the Sabbath be wrong? We've covered that. It was against the rules. But why do the Pharisees want to accuse and kill Jesus? Why, why that? Because the Bible tells us he went around doing good, and we know that. So why the strong reaction? Well, the background to it is in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Jesus has arrived, and he says, The time's come. The kingdom of God is near. And people's reaction was, Hang on, who do you think you are to be saying that? He goes into the Capernaum synagogue, and it says that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. This was the word that was going around. Have you come across this guy who called Jesus? He's different from the other religious leaders we've got around us. See, there's something going on there in terms of comparison. He then comes across a man who is very demonized. He's got problems with spiritual forces, evil forces, and he prays for him and delivers him. So he's free from it. Um, that, too, was something different. News spread across the region. That wasn't something that commonly happened. So man gets healed of leprosy. Crowds start following Jesus. Large crowds, it says. And at the beginning of chapter 2, and I'll just read you a couple of verses, is when he returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And then he... Somebody brings him a man who's paralyzed. Four friends carry this guy to Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Well, you're not allowed to say that unless you're God, which, of course, they didn't know he was. So he's got himself into trouble again because he's now claiming to be God, which, of course, he was, but they didn't know that. Everywhere he turns, he's getting into difficulties with the religious authorities in one way or another. And so that's all in the background to this passage that we've just read. So why do they want to accuse him? Well, first of all, because they're religious and he isn't. In other words, to them, the rules is the rules, never mind the fact that there's somebody here suffering that needs healing. And Jesus overruled that and went against that. So he's, he's a rule breaker in their eyes, so that's a problem for them. Secondly, I would suggest to you they're very, very jealous because crowds are now following him. People are saying, he's got authority in a way that you don't. That causes them a problem. He is growing and gaining respect and following all the time. He's performing amazing miracles that the religious leaders are not. All of these things added together. You can imagine that kind of cocktail of reactions and feelings and emotions that are going on inside them. So they're jealous and I would suggest to you that they're feeling very threatened because we know that they're losing followers, they're losing authority, they'll be losing therefore status in the community. And I wonder what was 
how they felt about that, what was going on for them as this competitor emerges and everybody starts following him instead of following their teaching. I wonder how that challenged them, how internally threatened they were, that they had felt really important because of their position. And now somebody's come along and is pulling the rug from under their feet. If they're not a religious leader, then who are they? For some of them, I would suggest that is what is going on. Because insecurity within human beings makes us feel that way. We attach our value and our worth so often to things that we do or roles that we have or positions that we have because there's a certain lack of the degree to which we know that we know that we know that our value is found in being a son or daughter of the living God who loved you before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, and chose you to belong to him. That makes you a prince, a princess in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing more valuable. No person on earth is more valuable than you. That's where your value comes from. It's so, so important that we know that. And I would suggest to you that some of the Pharisees, at least, probably didn't. John the Baptist experienced this, didn't he? He was losing followers, left, right, and center. And they're all going off to follow Jesus. You can read about it in John chapter 3. And his followers come to him and say, John, John, everybody's going to follow the other guy. And what's he say? He basically says, look, a man can receive only what's given him from heaven. He must increase, I must decrease. That's a glorious, beautiful response from John. So as we close, three relevant questions, I think, for us to consider. The first question is this. Do I really know Jesus? To what extent have I had a wrong idea of what he's really like. It may be that you've never come into a relationship with him, and so, of course, you wouldn't know him. But if you're sitting here this morning or watching or listening online, then if you want to get to know him better, to find, well, who really was this guy? Who is God? Who all these people around me are worshipping and following and finding true life and meaning in? I'd like to get to know him better. Then we invite you to just come to the welcome corner at the end in a few minutes' time. And uh, John Barfoot particularly uh, will be there to chat to you. And uh, he's, a, he's a tall... Just give us a wave, John. He's sitting in the middle at the back there at the moment. There he is. There's a wave. So he's a friendly fella. He'll be over there ready to chat to you if you'd like to know more about well, how can you get to know Jesus better. The second relevant question is this. 
for all of us. Am I, are you, more religious than Jesus? Do we, do I, do you, add unwritten rules, perhaps, let alone written ones, to Scripture? So, well, if you're going to be a real Christian, then this, 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 and this. It's a real danger. We can subconsciously find ourselves doing it if we're not careful. And a community of God's people can find ourselves doing that if we're not careful. We could find ourselves, for example, having a kind of a developing kind of attitude that said, well, if you worship in this way, that way, and that way, and do all the right things as far as we're concerned, then you're a real Christian. But if you're a bit different and you express your faith in a diff slightly different way, well, I'm not so sure about you. Now, our heart is for all of us within the context of our worshipping and following of God to express our worship and devotion to him in all the ways that you find in here. And you know what? There's everything imaginable, pretty much. We want all of us to be free at times to dance and shout with all our might. And it's beautiful the way Camry led us into worship this morning. Because that's one end of the spectrum, if you like. But what she so beautifully included was, actually, for some this morning, it might be a very quiet moment. And that's fine. In the Bible, you'll find examples of people just simply lying on the floor before God. I'd love us all to be free to do that on a Sunday morning. I've done it sometimes. Or stand on your chair. But hold on to the one in front, because it's not very safe, I discovered once otherwise. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? The complete range. We've got, our heart is for all of us to be free to express our worship and devotion to God in a complete range of things. But never to put an expectation on anyone. It's got to be like this today. That's the thing. That's the thing. So, we need to be careful. I wonder, this, this is a really weird one that just occurred to me. I, thought, I wonder whether we've, inverted, we, we've developed an inverted dress code. In other words, if you come casual, you're in. <laughs> if you come with a suit and tie, ooh, that's a bit odd. Are you okay? Are you, are you, you know, do you need to loosen up a bit here? Uh, do you see what I mean? Did we, whoa, pendulum swings. Next week, somebody might come in with a heart of defined God or to worship him, dressed up to the nines. Let's say, you're very, very welcome without hesitation. Really important. We could find that we're more religious than Jesus, like the guys, the brothers in the story that Jesus told, which is going to be the focus of next week's message, so I won't go into it very much other than to mention it. The younger son who thought he'd got to, couldn't come back to his father because he'd messed up big time and would never be accepted. Do we, have to, do we think we have to reach a standard before we'll be acceptable by, to God? If there's a little, little element of that even, the answer is no. It shows there's a bit of legalism there. If we think, because we messed up last week, oh no, no, it makes it difficult to pray. No, it doesn't, because he's ready to receive you. It doesn't. But if you feel like it does, there's some legalism in there. Or maybe you're more like the older brother who had says, I've slaved for you all these years. Um, 
still trying to earn God's love and approval and acceptance through what he did. I wonder if that's you. Religion tries to earn God's love. Relationship knows you already have it. And as somebody said, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make him love us less. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's take a moment of reflection. Father, I pray that where we're more religious than Jesus is and was, that you will be shining your light into our hearts and bringing your truth to bear and setting us free. I pray that if we're threatened by the success of others, as the Pharisees were, if we feel like our position is threatened, our value, that you'll shine your light now. Keep your eyes closed, but just continue to listen to me. I, I realized a while back that whether I did well or didn't do well on the golf course was more important to me than it should be. And I thought, now why, what's going on there? Why, why, why am I feeling that? It's nice to do well, of course it is, but there's more to it. And I realized that my family, very sort of sporty family, the pressure that came with that to perform and succeed was prompting a disproportionate response in me. So I need to take that to God. It may be that you have a rival to promotion at work. I think this is probably a word of knowledge for one or two. And it's a situation you find yourself in right now, that there's a, there's a vacancy uh, in the hierarchy, so to speak, above you, and there's a rival. How do you feel about that? Or maybe you're after or want or whatever a role in church, and you get some of your sense of value out of that. God doesn't want that to be the case at all. And to the extent that it is, we have a problem. Holy Spirit, just be shining your light wherever you need to shine it. Thank you that the truth is that we can never do anything that causes you to love us more or less that our value is found in who we are as your children, chosen before the foundation of the world, before we ever did anything good or bad, successful or failing. It makes not one jot of difference. Thank you that you love us profoundly. And pour your grace and truth and love into us, I pray again. As we thank you for who you are, for what you're like. Jesus, thank you that you're not religious, that you don't make demands on us, that require us to do X, Y, and Z to be accepted. It really, really is true that that's not.